are going to get worse before they get better. Got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, y'all. It's your boy, Dan White Hodge. How y'all doing out there in podcast land? Yes, indeedy. I wrote graffiti on the bus. <laughs> hey, y'all, you remember that? Y'all remember? Who's who's that artist? <laughs> ah, man, that's the far side. Man, that took me back, man. That took me back there, yo. Um, If you don't know the far side, uh, man, I don't know what to say. That was a, a West Coast uh, hip-hop group. And when they first came out, this was like during the 90s. Uh, and their, one of their hits was uh, She Keeps On Passing Me By or Passing Me By. And um, I remember that song because the first time I heard them, I actually, I actually didn't think they were from the West Coast because they had a completely different sound than somebody out of LA, especially during the '90s, right? And, uh, and they really sounded like you know from the East, you know, they sounded more like like Black Sheep or something like that. And um, yeah, I remember seeing them, and they had you know had the dreads and everything. And I, I, I was hoping for more from Farside, man. I know they're still doing some stuff out there, but if you haven't checked it out, man, they're uh, they got some really good uh, hits. But uh, uh, well, their first album was really good. So if you haven't checked it out, get it on your Spotify list. <laughs> At any rate, um, sorry for that little tangent there, man. That was um, I had to, I had to, I had to go on that, man. Hip hop. Um, I'm thinking about starting a, a podcast on on something hip hop. I'm not sure yet. If any of y'all got ideas out there? I would be glad to take them. I know I've been talking to my man John Gill, and we've been talking about getting some um, a uh, um, a podcast going on hip hop or something. So I don't know yet. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I know. Initially, I thought about doing one like you know Doctor Hip Hop and doing one on hip hop and theology. But at any rate, if you have ideas, hit a brother up. Um, um, but I'm loving Profane Faith weekly podcasts, and for those of you just joining us and. Uh, logging on maybe this is your first time welcome my name is dan white hodge i'm a professor associate professor um, of intercultural com out here in chicago that means i'm tenured <laughs> and uh, i've written a few books in fact i got a new book coming out this summer which i'll be definitely pumping and pimping <laughs> a little bit here on the show uh coming near that um it's going to be on missions and looking at colonialism and looking at just how um, racism, particularly white supremacy, has uh, you know infiltrated and infected a lot of the way we look at and do missions. And so, uh, if you were with us last week, we had uh, Jamie Wright. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to listen from last week, uh, she just wrote a book, you know, called "The Very Worst Missionary." Um, highly recommend it. Highly recommend that you know you go check that out. And then if you haven't checked out, just check out the podcast, and you know, hopefully, you, you know, check out her book as well. But Mine is really definitely focused more on race and ethnicity uh, research base. And that's going to be coming out this uh, summer and arguing for a hip hop theological space that will that could help us get out of some of the mess that we're in right now, particularly as it pertains to uh, Christianity. Um, So I will be talking about that, you know, come this 
come soon because what here we are if you're listening to this here in 2018 um we're you know we're halfway through april so it's coming up so i just want to get that on brass radar but again you hear check us out whitehotpodcast.com uh we're on facebook under white hot podcast profane faith you just want to take you know type that in as well i'm on twitter at dan white hodge so again welcome those who are listening i realize you know podcast is just that it's you know portable and on demand and i know some folks have you know download certain episodes and then they go and get other you know episodes and whatever and so um i know you know everyone i do have some very dedicated fans and i thank you for those of you who've been listening every week <laughs> man you've been hearing you know you've been listening to you know like i said you've been you've been hanging in since episode zero zero so um much obliged much obliged to to y'all uh but i realize you know a lot of folks you know they'll pick and choose so those of you who are around and, and hanging thank you uh, thank you uh, very much and um yes this week man um well i told you i was gonna bring him back uh i brought back my friend jr forsteros he uh was in chicago um a little while ago and i figured you know why not record something he was staying at a brother's house and i was like man we got to get this brother back on the show we gotta you know we got the mics down here we gotta we gotta do something man <laughs> so we did we talked about his new book um empathy for the devil i'll get into that here in a second it's a really good read and it's what he's going to be talking about um but jr is one of those pastors and if, if you haven't you know heard his episode uh, it's back in one of the first few episodes definitely within the first five episodes of this show i had him on and we man we just covered the whole gamut of of of, of topics so uh, you know you can go back and check out uh, that and i'll put all of his you know web information in the show notes um because jr is one of those interesting pastors that he's white he's evangelical and he's out in texas and you think man just by that stereotype alone right if you just go off of whatever that's saying right there you think whoa this dude ain't gonna get it but man this brother is a thinker he is so well read we went down he wanted to go and like taste chicago so i took him you know to go get some italian beef took him for some uh you know some deep dish i'm a, a lou malnati's kind of guy so you know i went and took him to get some some lou malnati's you know um anyways we were sitting down and just to hear this cat talk about theology about you know race he has his church they're going through um kindy's book on stamp from the beginning um ibrahim kindy and it i mean you know like who does that in texas <laughs> right i mean that that's not the knock texans don't get me wrong i mean i was born in texas um but you know white pastor evangelical looking at racism beyond just the mlk stereotype and trope that mlk has become right um jr is pushing deeper and i've appreciated just his intellect and his his heart to learn more um i think they're really doing some great stuff in um and out in dallas in fact if you're in the dallas area and you get a chance to check out his church um i would highly recommend it he's out there at catalyst community church uh, in rowlett texas which is in and around the dallas area um, and of course he blogs at, uh, NorvilleRogers.com and he reviews books and all that good stuff. Like I said, I'll put these things in the show notes, but again, JR has just been one of those great thinkers and you, you can, you can always tell people who've been reading and thinking, man. Cause it's like you sit down and then just, you know, the conversation just goes and you just, it's engaging and you know, you don't have to type, explain things like, Hey, have you read this? Or, Oh man, check out this. And what about this concept? So I've appreciated that. And this particular book that he just put out, um, empathy for the devil, this is an amazing read um and i do hope you get it and read it he's going to be talking about it i got it right here in front of me i'm sure you can hear the uh 
the pages here. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, that's how uh, sensitive this mic is, right? You know, you gotta gotta love uh, sure mics. Um, <laughs> but um, empathy for the devils is finding ourselves in the villains of the Bible. The thing I like about this particular book is that it, it anytime theology gets me to think beyond what we've been told to think, right? When it gets you to to stretches you beyond the traditions of theological imagination, especially in Christianity, I say that's a good good thing. Um. I know when I was, uh, you know, going through seminary, I was listening to uh, Rob Bell a lot um, just because I was having trouble finding a church. And and Rob Bell at that particular moment in that particular space of my life was really somebody who was taking that theology beyond the borders of what I had been used to. Um, and that's what I appreciate about Jr. Jr. is is doing that. And in this book here, he's literally laying down, you know, what it what who are some of these people that we just kind of overlook. Right. He reintroduces us to some of the most villainous characters of scripture so that we can learn from their negative examples. Now, who's doing that? <laughs> Man, I'm serious. Like, and, and it's so well thought out. This is so theologically sound. You're about to hear here in a few minutes here in the interview. Um, but he's, he's breaking it down. Watch. Figures such as Cain, Jezebel, and Herod serve as cautionary tales of sin and temptation, right? And I think what JR does, he vividly narrates their stories to help us understand uh, their motivations showing that we might have more in common with them than we would like to even admit right i mean he takes a fresh look at the sound the, the scoundrels of scripture right the folks that we've kind of just thrown out there um and find some guidance to walk the path of righteousness um he sent me some early copies of this book of course i endorsed it i thought this was uh, right on the money um and i was just like man Let's talk a little bit more about some of the folks that we've just kind of thrown away. I mean, what what can we learn from them? How can we become better stewards of our own theological imagination and how those narratives are 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 challenged? Because that's my problem right now with particularly habitual church and just the, the commodity of that church has become it. It's just like a it's it's like a stamping factory, man. I mean, if I'm honest, I mean, this is what John Drain, um, and, you know, was talking about in the McDonaldization of the church. Right. It's like this this ongoing stamping of folks. And so you just go to church and it's just the same old message recycled over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, it's like seriously, man. And then, you know, or you go to those over spiritual churches where, you know, you say one thing and everybody's amen and amen. And I'm like, wait, what, what are we what are we doing here? <laughs> what what's what's going on? Um, and it's been one of my beefs with, you know, connecting theologically with with uh, with space, you know, with challenging spaces in a church context. Um, it's one of the reasons why I love AAR so much, because it pushes well beyond those borders of what we think should be theologically, you know, sound. And it, and it, it questions why you think that way. And it asks, you know, the, the, the presentations and the research there is asking, like, you know, what do you think? Um, could it be this? And this is exactly what JR is doing, particularly with looking at, like I said, looking at the villains, you know, within, you know, within the Bible. And these are, these are some conversations I think that are long overdue, especially, um, as we think about where we're at currently in our sociopolitical, uh, era. Um, I think all things are on the table right now. I think that we have to begin to ask ourselves what is it that we really believe and i really do believe in me generation after generation we reformulate theologically like what 
it is we want to believe in. I mean, because think about it as a, as a nation, as a country, a hundred years ago, we are not thinking the same way, right? We're just not. Um, you know, 200 years ago, I mean, 300 years ago, I mean, think about that. Think about where folks were at 300 years ago. Um, and on the cosmic scale of things, right? When you think about, you know, suns being billions of years old or stars being billions of years old, galaxies being billions of years old, 300 years is nothing, right? So think about that. Just think about the human evolution, the human theological evolution and where we've come. And so I know at one point in my own faith journey, I was scared to go beyond the borders of what had been told were the very the limits of where you can go theologically. You can't go past this. You can't be asking these questions. And I know I was afraid, you know, if, if it really came down to it. Now I could argue and I could, you know, I could argue the Bible in and out. But it was much bigger than, um, than, than what I had imagined. But I had to let some of those things go. I think the the movie that really captures my own kind of faith journey was really the, the M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. I don't know if you've seen, had a chance to see the movie The Village. It's a great film. I get that it has a, it's, well, it's older. I get that it's a little bit older. Um, but, you know, it really, it really established what, <laughs> if I'm honest, it really established, you know, there had been this perimeter that if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to give some spoilers alerts. Oh, well, you know, it's an old movie. So if you haven't seen it, you know, go ahead and see it. But, you know, the, the setting is you think, oh, man, this is an old time film. It's, you know, it's back in the 1800s and it's really not. The people who were, you know, who had set up this, this, um, you know, this sanctuary, if you will, were just folks, regular, ordinary people who just got tired of living in society. And they just raised their own society out there in the middle of the woods. And to keep people there, they told people that there were these monsters that lived out beyond the borders of their town and they could not go beyond those borders. And it worked. Right. And it worked because people were so scared. They were so caught up with this fear. Right. This boogie person that's out there. And it worked. I mean, and that for me was the same, you know, growing up. It was don't do this. Don't do that. And if you go beyond these borders, the devil's going to get you. You know, this evilness is going to get you. And so pushing beyond those ideological structures, it takes a lot, y'all. It takes a lot. I can't if it wasn't for my wife's continual, the goodness of her stubbornness <laughs> is exactly what was needed for me to get out of the funk and the theological funk that I was in easily 20 years ago. Um, and it's, it's not easy. And a lot of people don't because you go out and it's unstable and you know, you're sitting out there thinking, man, I shouldn't have done this. And if you were raised in a fundamentalist background, like I was, you know, you go out there and you think, oh, God's punishing me now. Oh man, this is because God, you know, and then you get people telling you, yup, yup. Mm -hmm, that's exactly it. See, God trying to tell you something. And it, it's easy to slip back, right? Because as humans, we just love things that are comfortable. We like things that make sense. We like things that are being able to, you know, be connected. <laughs> um, and it's difficult. It was very difficult. Um, my faith crisis, and like I said, you know, if you want to hear more of my story, you know, it's episode one uh, of this podcast. You can go back and check it out. But, you know, my my that that time of me having that faith that crisis in faith you know coincided with me you know going back to grad school um and completing up a master's you know uh and you know it was you know it and, and it was theological it was in focus around theological studies and so that helped me a lot it gave me some support some grounding 
Um, and so JR is attempting to help us process through that, right? He's helping to, for us to really think through these things much broader than just simply taking things for what they are and, you know, right in front of us. And I think that's part of the theological journey, yo. I really do. I really do believe that this is part of us developing. I mean, it boggles the mind why people get so, so pissed off about certain theological things, right? I mean, to the point of people getting fired, death, murder, people get violent about this stuff, right? And they think somehow this is connected back to God. <laughs> That's what always gets me. That's what always fascinates me, right? I mean, and this is throughout history. This isn't just now. This isn't just people hiding out at the, you know, Planned Parenthood place, right? This is this this is going through history. I mean, this is really the history of Christianity, especially once Christendom came. And, you know, you start thinking about the age of exploration and how missions played a part of that. Oh, man, this is a mess. By the way, I talk about a lot of that stuff in the new book coming this <laughs> coming this summer, Homeland Insecurity. Um, so Jr. is taking us through this. He's taking us through Cain. Delilah and Samson, Jezebel, Herod the Great, um, Judas, and Satan <laughs> running with the devil. Like what? What does that mean, right? Like what? How can we take away things that we have once been told don't don't look at? And so, hence, his book is titled "Empathy for the Devil," um, which is the title of this podcast as well, because uh, I wanted us to again process some of these things, and that's you know part of why I have profane faith around is to have these conversations uh, and to push forward. So, um, again, I'll put these things in the show notes, uh, link to the book, uh, link to Jr.'s website, uh, link to some of the work that he's doing. Uh, in fact, if you just go to his main website, you know you'll find you know everything you're going to need there. You can get hooked up. He has a um, a newsletter that he's going to talk about here. Um, uh, and here in a minute, we get to the interview and, uh, you know, I just, just recommend just connect with the brother connect. He's, he's doing some good, some, some really amazing things, um, and pushing those boundaries. Um, and it sounds like his church is doing great out there in, in, in Texas. Um, and they've really allowed him to just, you know, do his thing, which is a rare thing for denominations to do. Um, uh, it just is, I'm not a big fan of denominations. And so, um, you know, cause they just, they, they, they seek for power, right? They seek to not disturb the powers and the traditions that be. And so, uh, for him to be doing what he's doing in his tradition is, is, is powerful. So I'm excited. I'm excited to have him on the show. So as always, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, and all non-binaries, Mr. J.R. Forsteros here for your listening pleasure. Check him out. Talk about getting fired from evangelical organizations. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That will. None of us know what that means. None we, of we us. We don't have any experience with that. Yeah, none of us. <laughs> Start with the book. How's, right. it, how's it doing? As far as I know, I think it's doing well. Um, IVP is happy with, uh, I think, how it's performing. They said it's doing like pretty well, like not amazing. It hasn't like blown up or anything like that. Okay. But, uh, uh, it's doing. It's doing decent. And they wanted to see another proposal, so that's exciting. Oh, really? Whether whether or not uh, whether or not it's done well enough that the marketing people wanted another proposal, we'll see. But <laughs> man, well, that's good. Yeah, that's real good. And did you now for the process for that? Did you have like outside reviewers, and did, or did Al just work with you, or how how did that how did that process go? Not not having published a you know yeah. For the people, for the masses, for the for the yeah. non-academic, yeah, uh, yeah. There, Al and two outside reviewers, okay, who were anonymous. 
Okay. All right. Ooh, excuse me. And they didn't uh, they didn't like my Satan stuff. Okay. All right. And I asked Al if that was a big deal, and he said, nope. And I said, okay, you're yeah. the professional. Right, right, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think that's, yeah, because that's, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Because I know when I did the solo hip hop, there were, you know, there was, there was one reviewer that was definitely not a, I don't know. I, I always said, I said, I, I could tell this one, this, this person, because of the pushback, I felt like it was somebody who was white. Um, and so, <laughs> because of the question, I'm sure, I'm sure I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Because of the line of questioning, so I don't know. I felt because I had yeah, I had three. It was three, and then uh, at that time I was working with David. Uh, was it David Zimmerman? I think it was. I think it was David. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, then his input, and then and whatnot. But you know, this last round I only had two uh, blind. But yeah, well, that's good. I just I you know I like I said I having always had that for every publication I've ever done. Uh, it's interesting just to you know. You know, get those get that feedback. I think when I first got it back, because having gone through the dissertation process, I don't know how it was. I don't know if you wrote a thesis or anything like that. Did you, you wrote, okay, yeah. So I don't know how that process was for you, but you know, having gone through that, there's always the astonishment of oh man, I'm just kicking stuff. Um, of like oh my gosh, like you know, wow, you got you guys got a lot to say on my on my stuff here. Yeah, my thesis advisor from a master's thesis, uh, I turned in my first draft, and he basically turned, gave it back to me and was like, nope. <laughs> so I completely rewrote the entire thing and turned it into him again, and he said, nope, still not it. So I did it all a third time, and he said, nope, this is still not it. And so I wrote him, and I was like, okay, you're going to have to tell me what you want because I've given you three completely different right." things and right. honestly like i'm running out of time and i just i'm i'm honestly genuinely not sure what you want right and so he kind of he kind of showed me an outline that he thought would work better and he was right like he was very very right it, it turned out to be a strong thesis but uh i was i was starting to panic pretty hard no i so, know yeah uh yeah this and i mean you know i i have people edit my sermons all the time before i preach too okay. so i'm i'm okay. pretty used to receiving critical feedback on my messages no, and, on my writing yeah so i wasn't the only thing I was a little bit worried about was the, you know, the title character of the book, uh, people, the the two anonymous people who didn't <laughs> know me hated what I had done. And that was, I was a little concerned about that. But when Al said he was not concerned, I said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good stuff. And what, um, I mean, we talked about this already. I think at least the last time, you know, you were on, or was that, what, didn't you call me once and we were doing something about your book? I remember that. I remember recording yeah, another yeah, yeah. time. Yeah, for my pre uh, my my pre-order bonus incentives, you were that's one of right. my guests for a special podcast thing I put together. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. So yeah, I mean cuz in terms of the book like what for those who have not read it, what uh what is your thesis? My thesis is well, okay, so there's kind of like a big overarching goal and then there's the thesis of how I get there. So the goal of the book is to invite people to slow down when they disagree and work to understand someone before they rush to judgment and disagreement. Okay. Uh, my The way I'm trying to achieve that is by taking seven of the worst villains in the Bible and asking, why did they do what they did? You know, my, my, mm -hmm. so I guess my assumption is that no one is the villain of their own story. Okay. Right. And so these people like Cain, like Delilah, like Herod, like Judas, 
who did these things for which they have now become infamous. You know, some of history's yeah. like all time worst villains. Yeah. Uh, in their minds, they were doing something that was, if not right, then at least the best option they felt like they had. Yeah. And so without trying to apologize for them or condone what they did or sell it, certainly not to celebrate them. Yeah. Can we just try to understand why they thought this was a good thing for them to do? Yeah. And then is there anything I can learn about myself and about my own actions and my own tendencies by maybe seeing myself reflected in some of their choices? Yeah. Yeah. Man. I mean, I think that, yeah, well, you I mean, I think about that. I mean, I think one of the directions I took when I first wrote the solo hip hop was looking at, profanity within the Bible. I mean, that's how I kind of characterized it, right? You know, so looking at uh, aspects of the Bible that, you know, we don't tend to, to look favorably on, right? We look at the high points, we look at the heroes and the folks who did these amazing things, but then what about the day-to-day, like, you know? And so I think that's interesting when you when when you, when you you stop and look at that. What were what were some of the findings within that? What were, like, what was, what were one of the, the villains that you picked out or some of the, some of these, some of these folks that, that you were like, oh man, you know, that's, yeah. But what, what? Yeah. So, like, Jezebel was probably the one I, I was most captivated by. Okay. So, her name was probably Jezebel, B U L, not B E L. Oh, interesting. Uh, because uh, Jezebel, or, you know, Jezebel probably was a Canaanite liturgical chant. So, they worshiped Baal, hmm. and Baal was a fertility god. Uh, like a Thor kind of, you know, brought rain and, you know, fertility and all that. So he slept during the winter. Uh, and that's why the okay. crops died. That's why there was winter, you know. And so um, every spring they would do a big fertility festival and they would they would basically be waking him up so that they, they he would bring back the rains and bring back the crops and all, all of that. Right. And so they would chant in this spring festival to awaken Baal. They would chant Jezebel, Jezebel. And it means where is the prince? Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, so Jezebel's father before he usurped the throne of Tyre mm-hmm. was a uh, high priest of Baal. So it would have made mm. sense for him to name his daughter, you know, like that, that was like a good holy name, you know, if, like pastors who name their kids Grace or, you know, something like that. Right. Same, <laughs> right. same kind of thing. Right. Um, so she, you know, she had this name that indicated her father's priestly status. And then he ends up usurping the throne of Tyre and becoming king of Tyre. And she becomes a princess. Uh, and so she is married off to Ahab to secure a political alliance between hmm. Tyre and Israel. Okay. At, at the t- at the time at that time in history, Tyre was on the uh, decline. You know, they had had their golden age and were kind of slowly losing power and status. And Israel at that time was relatively strong. Hmm. I mean, Ahab and a- Ahab's father, much like Jezebel's father, uh, had usurped the throne from. Um, I don't remember who he was Omri and he had, he did the same thing. He, he killed a guy who had killed the previous King and yeah. took over. And so by the time Ahab takes the throne, uh, you know, the, it's been a fairly tumultuous time in Israel's history, but Ahab mm-hmm. brought a lot of stability. He, he did manage to secure peace for Israel. And then he really expanded their borders, uh, beefed up their infrastructure, uh, built a lot of stuff. I mean, he was politically speaking, he was good for Israel. You know, and and one of the things he did was he married the princess of Tyre. So he 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 established a political alliance with one of the most uh, established and powerful city states in in the region. Hmm. And yeah. this is Jezebel, right? Well, she brings in Baal worship. 
Yeah. And that's 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 what the prophets take Ahab and Jezebel to task for, right? Is that they are Baal worshippers. Right. Well, uh Zebel is speaking of profanity, right? Yeah. Zebel is the Hebrew word uh, it, we say it's the Hebrew word for dung, but it's really the Hebrew word for shit. Like it was <laughs> it was a profane word. Okay. Right? It yeah. was it was a curse. Okay. Um and so it seems as though at some point in Israel's history, someone gave Jezebel a nasty nickname. They went from where is the prince, Zebul, to where is the shit, Zebel. Oh. Right? Okay. And so you just imagine, right? I mean, uh, yeah. some of our political leaders today <laughs> are known for giving their opponents nicknames that are not kind, <laughs> right? This is still a practice that is that is yeah. employed. Yeah. And so just for fun, now again, we don't actually know who did this. We don't actually know if it was Elijah or a contemporary of Elijah, mm-hmm. or it could have been a later writer. Like, we we don't know. But okay. I had some fun and took some creative license. So in <laughs> okay. uh, the showdown on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal okay. is one of my all-time favorite Bible stories. All right, all right. And this is where, you know, there's been a three-year drought. Yahweh has shut up the skies because, again, Baal is a rain god. And so Yahweh is essentially saying to Israel, like, okay, if you want to worship this pagan rain god you go ahead and pray to him for rain i won't give you rain anymore and we'll just see how long it takes you know before Baal can give you rain and so it's been three years there's been a drought okay and elijah goes to ahab and says we're gonna have a contest we're gonna meet on mount carmel you bring as many prophets of baal as you want and we're gonna we're gonna see whose god is the real god and this is where they build altars and whoever answers with fire right this is that whole thing right right well during this process and this is this is one of the unfortunate things about reading english translations you know the prophets start chanting and they're they chant louder and louder and they're trying to you know they're trying to 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 get Baal to answer and Baal's not answering and at one point elijah says maybe your god is sleeping oh well this is when they would chant jezebel jezebel where is the prince right this is a liturgical chant to wake up the god and so it seems as though if he's saying this they're, Mm -hmm. they're chanting this and then he says, and this is where the Hebrew is obscured. I think our English translations usually uh, usually uh, translate it something like maybe maybe he's maybe he's unavailable right now. But what it actually the Hebrew is an idiom that means maybe he's taking a dump. Oh, right. Man. Maybe he's indisposed. Okay. And so again, you have these two things linked. You have Jezebel, Jezebel, where is the prince? And then you have. Zebel, like maybe he's taking a shit. Oh my god! And so I like I just had it to where this is where Elijah gives Jezebel the nickname. You know, he gives her this like nasty nickname, and then it kind of follows her for the rest of her life. And it's one of those things. She's the queen, so no one's gonna say it to her face. Yeah, but it's being whispered behind her back. She knows that this is how the people of Israel are um, referring to her and thinking of her, and you know, man. So that like. That was just a really interesting thing that I learned about this character. And wow. if you've ever been given a nasty nickname, which that's probably most of us, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know how that feels. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, now, again, it doesn't excuse anything that she did, but it did give me a little bit more sympathy for her. Man. See, it's stuff like that that I, I that, you know, I'm always, in, you know, enthralled and fascinated with, you know, when you think about the deep theology um within particularly the old testament um that exists the history the naming i mean because obviously the the old i mean it goes back so much further right than what we have of the new testament and so it's just interesting to hear these things what um i mean because this this comes up a little bit every now and then people ask what was your studying process like what 
Where did you go? Did you, uh, you know, where did, what did, what did, what did you read? Where did yeah. you, where did you engage with? I mean, I, I know I'm just curious about that. Well, too. so, so one of the challenges of a lot of these characters that I chose is that there's really not that much written on them. I mean, they're mm. the villains, right? So, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the reasons the book was so attractive for, I think, publishers was that, yeah, we never talk about them. Yeah. But that's also the challenge. We never talk about them. So there's, you know, there's just right. not that much written about them. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, in some ways, the women were a little bit easier to find material on because there's been such a rise in really good feminist biblical scholarship mm -hmm. and because there are so few women named in the scriptures relative to the number of men named. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even the even the quote unquote villainous women have a good bit of writing engage you know engagement. So yeah. I found some amazing stuff about the uh, the three women I have are Delilah, Jezebel, and Herodias. And so hmm. uh, there, there's actually like a good bit of feminist literature okay. on those three women. Okay. Uh, and I was able to find some really helpful good stuff. Um, the the male characters. You know, I, I kind of used Miroslav Volf's take on Cain in his book Exclusion and Embrace as a jumping off point for Cain. Okay. And, and, you know, honestly, I I barely scratched the surface on what I could do with Cain. There is so much scholarship about the Cain and Abel story as a, yeah. you know, is this a, is this an argument between hunters and gatherers and, ag ag you know, the burgeoning agriculture? Yeah. Is this, uh, you know, what's, there's, there's so much going on there that I just didn't even... One, because this was not an academic text, so I didn't have time sure. to, to go there. Sure. Um, you know, with Judas, too, there's there's a good bit with him, but but I guess what I always tried to do was I, I, I tried to find the point in the story that didn't fit the narrative we were already telling. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in the Cain and Abel narrative, there's that moment when God comes to Cain and says, Cain, why are you angry? Hmm. Okay. And I was yeah. like, well, that's a funny question because God obviously knows why Cain is angry. And <laughs> yeah. it seems that like Cain is the one who doesn't know why Cain is angry. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. I kind of pushed on that a little bit. Like, well, well, why was Cain angry? And um and then God says to him, If you do what is right, you will be accepted. And hmm. I thought, well, that's interesting because like the way we've always told the story is God rejected Cain. Yeah. And accepted Abel, but that's not exactly true. God accepted, or God rejected Cain's offering, mm -hmm. not Cain. And then he, and then he says to Cain, "If you do right, you will be accepted." So it seems like though Cain's offering had been rejected, Cain had not been rejected, and that there was actually a danger hmm. that Cain was going to somehow like reject himself. You know, like he was going to yeah. do what would lead to him being rejected. Yeah. And so I kind of, I kind of just sat in that space between those two ideas for a while okay and 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 poked around in there and then again wolf's uh wolf's interpretation of that in exclusion and embrace was really helpful in sort of working through a lot of that hmm. um with judas yeah again same kind of a thing i was like you know you what you've always heard is like judas was bad from the beginning i don't know how many sermons i've heard where people praise jesus because even though he knew judas was bad like he chose him as one of his disciples and that means you should be nice to people or something you know yeah uh, yeah but but I thought you know if Judas was evil from the beginning, and if he had been intending to betray Jesus all along, which is how we tell the Judas story, right? Then why did he kill himself when his plan went off without a hitch? Yeah. Why did he try to give the money back? Right. Yeah. Like these are not the actions of someone who has successfully achieved their goals. These are the actions yeah. of a person who messed up. Deep regret. And, right. And. 
And uh, and so I kind of again I was like, well, okay, so when exactly in the story does that happen? You know, yeah, that's um, good. Well, it's right. It's it's after Jesus has been condemned to death by Pilate. Like that is the moment that Judas goes and tries to give the money back. And it's not when he gets arrested. It's not when he's before the high priests. It's basically when there's no hope left and, and you know, and, and, and it's, it's a done deal. That's when Judas kills himself. And then I was like, well, when does he decide to betray Jesus? Like, what's the moment, you know, what, when, did his, when does that happen in the story? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's after Jesus is anointed at Bethany at the home of Simon. Um, and so, again, I was like, well, why? Like, why? What, what happens at that? I was, yeah. Right, like, yeah. why, why yeah. then? Why, why, right. why these two places? And what does that tell us about you know everything's going on in Holy Week? Um, and so again, I just you know I would I would kind of sit in the story and hang out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, once you once you once you are asking those questions, there's just a wealth of literature that you can go yeah. to to kind of start working through what's going on in those stories. Right. But I guess for me, it was kind of about sitting and trying to figure out. Um, where are the uh, where's the slippage in how I understand this story? Are, are there any spaces for me to kind of crawl in here and um, figure some other stuff out uh, with Herod's story? And it's interesting too. I mean, before you get to yeah, Herod, yeah, yeah. I think um, with Judas, I know I was raised in you know as an Adventist that Judas had actually set that whole thing up so that Jesus could show his power and become the Lord that they wanted him to be. And so when it didn't happen and he saw what the results were going to be, that's when he, you know, went and of course killed himself, mm-hmm. threw the money, you know, did mm-hmm. all that stuff. But it's interesting just to hear that. Cause I was just, as you were telling that story, I was like, man, where did, where did I, what did I, what have I been told about the Judas story growing up? That was one of the narratives that was that was told that Judas was was actually trying to do good, but he just it backfired. And on he is mine. He's the hero. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's his problem is not his lack of faith. Yeah. He's it's that he's faithful to the wrong kind of Messiah. Y- yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's and so that becomes pretty terrifying because I consider myself a faithful person. Yeah. The issue is not whether I'm faithful or not. It's, yeah. Am I faithful to the right kind of Messiah? Right. 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 And, and that's the scary thing Mm -hmm. you know um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of where i hung out with judas and i was not raised with that as an option like that for us it was literally just he was just a bad guy and what do you expect the bad guy to do is he gonna betray you know um yeah so yeah so really humanizing judas uh was for me i say fun i mean it was fun it was an enjoyable experience but it it was really spiritually profitable Hmm. because he's always been like one of the worst people of all time yeah so yeah um yeah that's 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 kind of what i did with the book it was just i was trying to i was trying to again sit inside these characters heads and as much as possible as with with as with as much grace as i could you know give them give them the benefit of the doubt and say how could someone who thought that they were doing the right thing end up getting things so wrong you know man and then again what can i learn from that because again in my own mind i imagine most of the time i'm trying to do the right thing right you know so it's it's it's, uh what do they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions right it's like (laughs) just because you just because you meant well doesn't mean anything yeah you know uh so man yeah then you now you were going to say about herod oh yeah so i have i am genuinely curious about this uh you know so herod ordered that all of the babies baby boys in bethlehem two and under be killed Mm -hmm. how many kids do you think that was Man, that's a that's a good question. I imagine a lot. Yeah, so like hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, 
Something, Never say a thousand. Yeah, a thousand. I would okay. say a thousand, fifteen hundred. Uh, based on uh-huh. the size of Bethlehem, uh, birth rates in the ancient Near East, and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. probably it was six or seven. Is that right? Six or seven, not sixty-seven. Six or seven. Wow. Is that right? Wow, that's in, that's fascinating. And it changes, it changes the story. It does. Yeah. Because now you have a king who, well, well, essentially, again, this is what I do in the book, but, you know, the, the, the magi, the three, the three wise men, which mm-hmm. they were not three, they were not wise men, but, you know, the, the magi yeah. who come, yeah. it seems as though they were probably a diplomatic envoy from the Parthian Empire, okay. who was Rome's arch rival to the east. Okay. And uh, Herod had spent his whole life proving his loyalty to Rome while Parthia was co- like Herod's father and brother were killed in a war between Rome and Parthia. Okay. Right. All right. And so, All so right. Parthia, uh, it, much like it, much like today, Israel was kind of right in the middle of everything. And, and yeah. whoever controlled that little strip of land, mm-hmm. uh, con- controlled trade and all this other kind of stuff. So, uh, Herod was the one that Augustus had put in charge of basically keeping Israel secure for Rome. Hmm. And these, this diplomatic envoy shows up saying that there's a new king that's been born that Herod doesn't know anything about. Wow. And whether Augustus had spies in his court or not, Herod was convinced he did. Yeah. Herod was super paranoid, especially by the end of his life. And so now you have a guy who is convinced that word of this visit is going to get back to uh, Augustus. And again, he tries to be wily, right? He tries to, hey, when you go and find him, please come back and tell us so we can come and worship him too, right? He tries to to get the location of the kid yeah. so he can handle it. And then the wise men, they, you know, they, they leave by another means. And so now it looks like Herod received this diplomatic envoy, told them where the king was, and mm-hmm. then let them go back home. Like this looks, this looks, this is bad optics, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) And Augustus is not known for his mercy, right? Right. And so Herod has to act swiftly and decisively. And in his mind, he's preventing war. He's preventing Israel from being crushed between Rome and Parthia. Mm. And so now the question is seven kids now or 700 kids when we're crushed between the two great empires of the world. Whoa. That changes the story big time. Right? That, that, yeah, that puts a flip on it. Yeah. Man. And now you're like, well, whether or not any of that was true, Herod believed it was true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He believed it it was true. And again, for me, I'm like, how often do we, how often do we make concessions for what we think as expedience or convenience or getting by? And in, in the book, I use the example of drone warfare. I say, mm. you know, um, which, uh, you know, Obama pioneered. Uh, using yeah. drone warfare, and yeah. just in 2014, mm-hmm. just in Pakistan, mm. over 160 yeah. kids were killed by U.S. drones in the name of national security. That's a man. That's a that is that's real though, man. Like, right. That's. I mean, we hear that all the time, right? It's just like, well, hey, this was you know, uh, what is it? Uh, the collateral damage. Collateral damage. There you go. Yep. You and know. you can imagine Herod saying, "You know what? Those six kids, collateral damage." Right. Right. What matters is we keep Israel secure. And so, you know, we're so quick to villainize Herod, make him the Grinch of the Christmas story. But we do much worse today in the name of our own security. And we don't think twice about it. Hmm. Hmm. And Hmm. I think 
maybe we should be a little bit more pr- troubled by that. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that one right there in particular, man. I mean, that's yeah, I had not, not heard any of those narratives, man. That's that's um, I think that's something that uh, <laughs> it should get us to think twice about exactly as Chester goes off. Those <laughs> those of you who listen, you know, Chester is a is a constant guest on the on the show. <laughs> He's. He is constantly, but um, yeah, man. I mean, I just I, I think that's 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 fascinating because it 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 puts some things into perspective. I mean, I in I I don't know how far you. I mean, I do a whole thing on Nebuchadnezzar, and you know, I've been looking at him and and looking at his position and just looking at what he did for Babylon and how he developed it and how he um you know created jobs and and you know was really you know touted as one of the first free market laborers and like you know uh you know so when he built the statue i'm sure most people were like well i mean the guy put me to work so if he wants me to kneel down i i don't i'll kneel down it's fine yep he didn't kill me and my family has work and we're living all right like he created a middle income for people yep um if he wants to be president for life maybe uh, right yeah Right. Maybe it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. You got the statue here. So what? If I have to kneel down when I hear all the music and the lyre and the whatever in the bagpipe. Right. So what? So it's like the three Hebrew boys standing up. It's kind of like, dude, just sit down. Just just just. Why do you have to cause just trouble? Take, yeah. Why do you have to be, you know, so I find that fascinating because I, I find myself, especially in my early years of youth ministry and working with young people, I find that oftentimes we want to identify, right, with the good people, right? The good Samaritan. I'm the good Samaritan. I, I would, heck yeah, I would help that person. I would help them up and put all the, you know, nice food and niceties. And so I'm, I'm curious because I've found, man, it's just and not that the, the rest of the world doesn't have evil and, and bile in it, but I found some, some rough stuff inside the church. Yeah. Know? Well, you know, so in Lent, we're in while we're recording this, we're in the middle of the season of Lent and mm-hmm. at our church. Our Lenten series this year is called "The Devil in the Details," and uh, we're we're talking about the idea that when we don't slow down, yeah, and take inventory of ourselves, we miss the subtle ways that we uh, allow sin to enter into our lives to, to to clutter up where we are to push out the good things that need to be there, uh, and I I just think that's it. We it is human nature to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And yet we nearly never deserve, deserve it, (laughs) you know, like, uh, uh, so it it just is, uh, it's staggering to me. And I, I wish we talk about a lot at my church, like let's, let's quit giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, and and, uh, gosh, with my, my white friends that want to talk about race, I say, they're like, well, I don't, I don't think I'm racist. I'm like, I understand that. I don't think I'm racist either. But what I've learned from reading and listening a lot is that I'm actually a lot more racist than I thought I was. (laughs) And so like, I've kind of stopped giving myself the benefit of the doubt. And when a person of color says, Hey, you know what? That was pretty racist. I don't go, well, I don't think that's true. Cause I don't think I'm racist. I say, uh Oh, um, I need to think about this, you know, more Yeah. like, not not because they were automatically right, but I just yeah. need to quit giving myself the benefit of the doubt and start. Uh, you know, in in, uh, in biblical studies, we talk about hermeneutic of suspicion, right? That yeah. We, yeah. We uh, we start from a position of skepticism, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, what if we approached ourselves with a hermeneutic of suspicion and said, you know what, I think I'm good, yeah. But let's not let's not assume I am. Like let's assume I have some uncovered, unexposed sin in my life, and let's 
let's work really hard to find it. And then if I can't find anything, well, okay, great. But you'd be surprised <laughs> what you uncover when you when you treat yourself with some skepticism. You know, right? Man, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that stuff too goes to. I mean, at least in the U.S., you know that you know, hey, we're number one. We're we're the best country. We're God's gift to. Um, you know, this, this world, I mean, I've, I've heard that. In fact, I heard that just as recent as this week. Um, and that, you know, somehow, you know, God's going to continue to bless. I mean, you know, you got people going to war over these creeds, right? It's like, you know, God bless, you know, and, the, and so it's, it's difficult. I mean, and I think, you know, thinking from a, a macro perspective, I think it's difficult to, for most Americans to look inwardly, right. And to say, um, man, this, this is in our history, right? I mean, I was in Boston not too long ago and they have this amazing, uh, Holocaust, uh, memorial, right? It's, it, it, it's unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever been and seen it. It is. So it's like in this part of downtown and it's got these, uh, these glass, almost like glass pillars that go up maybe about 50 feet, each of them. And there's one that represents each of the uh, concentration camps. So Auschwitz and everything just goes on. But in real small lettering, they probably got these window panes that are up. Oh, here's Chester. <laughs> they probably got these window panes that are, I don't know, maybe five by six feet, right? And across, it's lasered in all the numbers of the people Wow. That were killed. And so each column has all these things just all the way up, right? So you're seeing, right, all these numbers. You're seeing the lives that were lost. You're seeing the that this was a person. But, yes, it's a number, but this was a person. You're touching it. There's a kinetic. And then you go to the next column, and you look up, and you see, oh, my gosh, there's more numbers. And my daughter and I were there, and she was like, oh, my gosh, Dad. I had I, She was like, I had no idea. Like, it, it's, it's a visceral, visual, you know, um, a, a memorial event, right? And they have all these different, you know, quotes like either from the Nazis or just like what was going on at that time. And I think about that, and I'm like, man, that's that's powerful. And it's interesting that we can acknowledge that. But then you turn around and you think, well, what about the 400 years of slavery? And I'm not trying to compare the two. Please don't hear that. I'm trying to hear, oh, our struggles, black people were worse than than that. No, but I am saying. Where do we memorialize this on national scale, right? Yeah. You know, the amount of people that were killed. I mean, can we acknowledge that some of these things are baked into what we're even dealing with right now? Prison industrial complex, you know, stand your ground laws, you know, policing, over policing. And so I don't know. It's it's difficult when you talk about look inside. I mean, I think about just again on a larger scale, can you know, can we look inside to see some of the wrongs that, you know, the US has done? I don't know. That's when, a tangent, but when I was in Germany a couple of years ago, went to Dachau, which is the, it was the first concentration camp. It's the one I write about in the intro to the Empathy for the Devil. Yeah, and there were at least three different German school groups touring Dachau that just okay. that one day. Okay, yeah. So it's it's and they I mean they were young. They were like uh, well, there was probably one middle school and but a couple of them were elementary age. You know, okay. so at, from from a young age they go to the the to Dachau. At least I'm sure they, you know, visit some of the other ones, too. But they, they see this stuff. And the thought that struck me was, imagine if even in elementary school, right. American school children had to tour a plantation. Yeah. And not not like a look how beautiful this home was right. and look at. Right. No, but where your your tour guides are black Americans who are very unapologetic about exactly what life was like for slaves. Right 
on a plantation. Yeah. And so from a young age, you are aware of exactly what our legacy was. Exactly. And then as you get maybe as you get into high school, you're learning about what the economic realities of those things are, you know, and some some of the more complex ideas mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. come out of yeah. understanding the legacy of slavery. Yeah. Um yeah. how could that not completely change our cultural conversation oh, surrounding man. race? Oh, you it, know? And and that's just it. That's just it. And I'll say this 100% personally, so I'm white if you couldn't tell, and uh <laughs> I I have started a book club down in Dallas. Uh, it was after Charlottesville, uh, where where white people were like, "Do y'all think we might still have a race problem in this country?" You know, <laughs> um, and everyone else was like, "Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the conversation, right?" Right. But I, you know, I started a little. I started a book club with a, my friends in Dallas. I just there's a Huff, Huff Poe ran a here's 17 books on race every white person should read. Yeah. So I posted up. I said, anyone want to just kind of start working our way through this list? So there's about 10, 15 of us that get together and read through these books. And all right. um, we're all, all of us at this point are white. Um, and we just, I will say that in the, the first two books that we've read specifically on the black experience, one is mm-hmm. White Rage by Carol Anderson. Okay. And then the other is Stamped by the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. Ah, uh, yes. And... Both of them, our experience of reading them is largely shock. Um, there is so much data, like facts, yeah, that we were never taught, that we never learned, and you know, so we're in Texas. It's interesting because uh, there's one guy in our our book club who's uh, o- older than sixty, but born and raised in Texas. Okay, there's another woman who's in her mid twenties, but also born and raised in Texas, and they're they talk about what they learned in school. You know, in in Texas public education yeah. at those different decades, yeah, and it's just it actually, if anything, it seems like Texas is whitewashing it even more. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, and so I, I can just say, like, if 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 you're anything like me as a listener of this podcast, like, I can pretty much promise you, there's just a ton you don't know, and it's not because this they're all in sealed secret CIA files. Like, right. it's just because our entire educational system is structured to uh suppress and ignore these things yeah and yeah we are fortunate to live in a culture where the information is actually really pretty easily accessible we have had some great scholarship done that presents it in very very consumable very accessible format you don't have to have a phd in history to understand this stuff like those two books i just mentioned uh, are are great starting points so they prepare to have your whole month ruined (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, I think we need that. I mean, again, we need yeah, we need reality. We need facts. Yes, and I think that's the that's the frustrating part because it's like you know, oftentimes you know, as you're looked at, you get a kid that does come through elementary school. Sure, the civil rights movement may be in some aspect of social studies. You know, I know my daughter came home with some stuff and it was just, you know, all these happy civil writers and they were on the buses and they went and fought for freedom. And it's just like it does. And I'm not saying, yes, we should give blood and gore to second graders. But at the same time, you know, what is the real story? What is the narrative? And, you know, uh, when we start again to look introspectively, you're absolutely right. I think I think we could have a different generation um, if that were happening. This th- there's a similar problem with teaching scripture, right? I mean, every sure. parent has to figure out like, when do we talk about the gory bits of the Bible? Right, you know? right. <laughs> like, when does the kid start going? What? Wait, so everyone except for Noah and his family died? Like, even the babies? <laughs> and you're like, uh, yeah, yeah. 
No, absolutely. I mean, in those, yeah, yeah. Yes, man. Well, this has been a good little conversation. Yeah. This is good. I'm glad to get you back on here now that you're here in Chicago. Um, same location where people can reach you. and Yeah. Uh, if you go to jrforesteros.com, my, how to get to my blogs there, all the podcasting I do is there. Uh, hopefully American Gods is going to come back soon so we can get oh, back on on my man. Wednesday. I was just thinking about that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now that I actually have some good microphones to, to connect with. So and, I'm hoping. Uh, yeah. And then I do I do a weekly newsletter. Uh, that's I, it's called stuff you'll probably like where I just I have some pop culture picks and books movies podcasts yeah and then I do a little devotional and then I have writing updates so if people want to keep updated with like what's going on with my books and my writing and stuff like that yeah uh, I, I do that so you can go to stuff you'll probably like dot com and uh, sign up for that I do it every Friday so that's what's up yeah so that's 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 the easiest way anything like when when this episode comes out I'll feature that I was like hey Dan hand me back on profane faith and here's where you can find you know so I that's great any anywhere I am I try to put that in so okay yeah that's what's up man well like I said you know I'll put these all in the show notes and uh, hook them up as we usually do and thanks for coming over yeah it's been good to be <laughs> I'm glad we get to do this in person it's so I much know. more fun it is it is so much <laughs> more fun here in the lab with Chester on my lap now I know no one can see that, but he's here on the I can confirm. You can confirm. <laughs> there you go. Cool, man. 